Let me invite our kids to head back to, to be with our children's team in Transformation Station. They'll be meeting in the lobby, so parents, if you want to escort them down, feel free to take them back to be with our team in Transformation Station. They always have a great time down there. I know they have some special uh, activities and, and lesson prepared for them today. And for the rest of you, I'd like to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 5. We'll be in verses 21 through 43. And uh, if you want to follow along on the screen, we'll have all the entire Scripture text up there. Uh, you can also turn on your uh, Bible app on your mobile device, or if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you back there, it's page 840 uh, there in those Bibles. Well, some of my most cherished moments in life have been when I've been able to take a road trip with people that I love. So maybe you can identify with this. I love to go on a journey. I love, there's something about uh, new, new places that bring new sights, new food, and new experiences. And so I, in fact, if, if I could go on a, new, a road trip, you know, this week, man, I, I, you, you could sign me up, right? I don't know if any of you have some flexibility this week, you know, maybe, maybe schedule a road trip. But if you do, man, I'm ready to go, all right? Anyone, can anyone identify with me? You like to, like to hit the road? Pr pretty fun experiences sometimes. Uh, well, well, you know, you, always don't, you don't always get what you bargain for when you go on a road trip. And I can remember sometimes as a kid and even with, you know, friends in college when you have a little extra time just to go on a journey, you know, everything is going great until you're going 75, maybe 85, uh, up the interstate uh, when you realize you should have been going 70, speed limit people, okay, 70 down the interstate. Anyone ever been there, done that? Like, 30 miles out of the way, 45, hopefully not more than that. Otherwise, you're really having a bad, not just day, but probably week at that point. So, so there are times in our life where uh, even in this GPS technology age where we get headed in the wrong direction. I mean, this is Boston after all. How many of us in the city of Boston, the city that we love, uh, have, have found it not so difficult to go down the wrong way of a one-way street? Let me just see. Has anyone ever done that before? Don't be ashamed. Hope you didn't get a ticket there. I'm sure it was unintentional. I hope it was unintentional. Um, so if, you, if not, you know, you can confess that later, not to me, but to God. And uh, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, so so what, what happens in those moments, right? We, we have to either turn around or if we're on that one street, we have to shift into reverse. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Aren't there times in our journey through life that we know we really need to shift into reverse? There are things that we have, have done, actions that bear consequences that we wish we could reverse. Maybe it was a moment of anger that led to the fracturing of a relationship. Maybe it was that word that came out of your mouth that you just wish you could kind of grab before it fell on the ears of the person that it was aimed toward. And, and you, you wish you could get that moment back. You wish you could pull it back into reverse, but the damage has already been done. What would you want to reverse about your life? 
What moments can you point back to and say, I wish I could have reversed that action and the consequences of that action? What in our world, as you see what's going on locally and even globally, the calamities and the, and, and the, 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 the fallenness of our world that we experience, what would you want to reverse? Some of you may not know that Jesus came here with a mission and his mission was to bring what I want to call the great reversal. Jesus came into our world with a specific mission to reverse everything that we find wrong in our own lives, but also in our world. And we're going to see that as we work through uh, chapter 5 of Mark, verses 21 through 43. Now, here's what I want to do this morning, okay? My, my goal may be a little ambitious, but I'm just going to lay it out there so you'll know where we're going and what I've been praying about and trying to convey this morning, okay? Number one, my goal is to give you a clearer picture of Jesus than you had before you, you walked in here, all right? And that's a, that's a pretty attainable goal, I think, all right, as we uh, look at the gospel of Mark. But then number two, I also want to provide an explanation for everything in our entire universe, why are you laughing? So, I mean, hey, it's Easter Sunday, all right? Like, you go big on Easter if you're going to go big any, any Sunday of the year. So, so don't, don't press the details on that, okay? There's a lot of smart people in the room, a lot smarter than me. I can't explain everything in your fields and whatnot. But, but I, think, I think I can provide a framework for understanding, really, everything in our universe. Right? So just let me know afterwards. You can give me a you know, pat on the back, or you can give me like, man, what were you thinking? That was ridiculous. You don't, you don't overreach on a Sunday like Easter, but here I go, okay? So, so I want to provide an, an explanation for everything in our universe. And then, and then number three, I hope to help you consider where you fit into the story of not only this story that we're going to look at, but this entire story of our world as we will look at it as we go through Mark chapter five. So listen to this. The gospel of Mark was probably written in the mid-60s and during the time of Roman persecution when Nero was in power. It was not a good day to be a Christian when uh, Nero was running things in Rome. And so most scholars believe that Mark penned his gospel to Roman Christians there in the city to encourage them to look to Christ as the Son of God and to be able to spread that message to those around them to fill them with the same kind of hope. And so what we have in Mark is the shortest gospel. Okay, you have four gospels in the Bible that tell the, the life and the, and, the, and the work of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, the second one, Luke, and John. And Mark is the shortest, but it's also the most action-packed. Okay, we're going to see this word immediately again and again in this passage because Mark is just constantly moving from one activity of Christ to the next. And Mark is really helpful. Okay, I love it when writers do this for us, and this is what I've kind of tried to do this morning even. Uh, Mark gives us his purpose statement in the very first verse. He simply says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is his purpose statement. He is writing about the gospel, which is a word that just simply means good news. He is writing about the good news concerning the person and work of of the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so as we dive into this story, what we're going to see are three main characters surface, and there are three major movements 
in the story, okay? So let's pick up in verse 21, and we'll read through verse 28 to begin with. Okay, you can follow along on the screen, as I said, if you need to. Here we go. This is what Mark writes. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. I want to give you three truths about the great reversal that Jesus came to bring as we walk through this passage. And I hope it is something that these truths will resonate in your heart and you'll start to begin to say, to some degree or another, however much you buy into the, the life and crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, I hope you would at least take a step and say, you know what, I, I need in on that. I should want in on that. And so the first truth that I want to share with you is this. Jesus came to reverse the limits of our love. Jesus came to reverse the limits of our love. I love this story. You have two characters that surface in this story, and they cannot be more different. Did you catch all of that as we were reading? Number one, you have Jairus. Jairus was obviously a, a, a man. And he was a man in the crowd who wanted to uh, reach Jesus because though he was healthy, he had a 12-year-old daughter that was not healthy at all. She was very sick. In fact, she was so sick that she was on the verge of death itself. But Mark tells us also that Jairus was a religious leader. That means he, he held an official uh, position in the synagogue um, and, and and that would have meant that he was very recognized in the city, okay? He was an important character and contributor in society. He was somebody, if you will. There's little doubt that, that he could pay the bills. In short, he was among the social elite. But not so with this woman. The woman doesn't even have a name. She's just known in the narrative as the woman. She's not healthy. She is sick. She is very sick. Mark tells us that, that she had a bleeding condition. It seems that she had some kind of uterine hemorrhage that would have uh, been so physically debilitating. And, and as we saw in verse 26, what, what makes matters worse is it, it continued to grow worse. This was a chronic illness, 12 
years. Put yourself in her shoes for just a moment. I mean, most of us, if we're being honest, would say, you know what, man? After I've been sick a couple of days, man, I'm ready to get over that stuff. I need some help. I need people to wait on me, take care of me, because if this thing goes longer than 48 hours, man, my whole life is starting to fall apart here. But this lady had suffered for 12 years. This made her, listen to this, religiously unclean. Do you start to see some of the contrast between Jairus and the woman? What this meant in her, in her day, in their society, is that she would have never been welcomed into the Chevalier Theater this morning. She would have never come to, been able to come to participate in the, the religious life of the community. She would have not been welcomed to pray and, and to hear from God's word. She was despised. She lived with this constant embarrassment and shame. And because of her condition, we can reason that she would have not been able to have children, which again would have been another major source of shame in that day. You see, the first century in Israel, they, they valued children as a gift. A woman's identity was wrapped up in, in whether or not she could bear children. And I know that's, that's somewhat the case today, but in, and oftentimes, if we're being honest, children are viewed more as an inconvenience than a gift. But this was not the case uh, for the woman. And so because of all of this, she was really a nobody. No one wanted to associate with her. And if this wasn't bad enough, uh, Mark tells us in detail that her situation went from bad to worse because she spent all that she had on doctors. She was broke. She had been to Harvard Vanguard and, and MGH and Tufts Medical and, and Beth Israel. She had gone to, from one doctor to the next, and yet none of them had the answer, and she spent all that she had to live on. She was not among the social elite. She was a social outcast. But what we see in this story is that Jesus has the love in his heart to address both Jairus and the woman. What motivates Jesus to pause and spend time with both of these people? After, by the way, he had had a long week of ministry. We can go back and read the other chapters. I mean, Jesus was, was, was giving all that he had. He crosses the boat to get away from the crowds, and he comes into another crowd, and, and he meets Jairus and then the woman. What motivated Jesus to spend time with them, to care for them? It was his love. The love that created the world. The love that moved him to voluntarily sacrifice his life on a Roman cross. is the same love that moved him to care for these two individuals. John 13, 34 says this. Jesus, before he was crucified in that Passion Week, he met with his disciples and he said this. A new commandment I give to you, listen to this, that you love one another. And then he raises the stakes. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So what should we learn about the love of Christ that hopefully we can take and apply and see him reverse the limits of our love? Well, the first one is this. Jesus reverses the limits of who we love. He reverses the limits of who we love. Though they are so different, they both experience the full force of the love of Christ. 
And I hope this resonates in your heart. I mean, this is, this is a kingdom principle. This is what, it, what the kingdom of God is about. If you consider yourself a somebody, maybe your bills are paid, maybe you have, you know, a little bit of paper in your wallet, maybe you got some papers up on your wall with letters behind them, maybe you're running out of wall space because you have so many degrees, okay, we live in Boston after all. I mean, maybe, maybe you're a somebody, but maybe you would say, you know what, Tanner, I feel like a nobody. I can't pay the bills. Life seems very fragile to me right now. I don't know what's going to happen next. Things are going from bad to worse. Let me just say that that Jesus loves you no matter where you are. If you're a somebody or a nobody or somewhere in between those bodies, all right, Jesus, Jesus cares for you. The community of Jesus is a community for everyone, male and female rich and poor, educated and uneducated, clean and unclean. God loves all people, and we also should love all people. Let me say this. If, if we as a church ever become a church, I don't think we're there, but, but let's just be warned, okay? If we ever become a church that is full of squeaky clean people who appear to have it all together, we may become a church that Jesus does not recognize and wants little to do with. Jesus welcomes the clean and the unclean. Listen, I know it's Easter. I know some of you, you 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 pulled out stuff that you haven't even worn in a year. All right? Like, I mean, I ain't gonna lie. These are some new pants, all right? These are some new pants. I hope you like them. But I, but I didn't really do it for you. Okay, my grandmother is here today. All right, she made the trip up. So, um, so, so we like to look nice. We like to appear that we have it all together on the outside and even what comes out on the inside. But listen, we, we know that we don't have it all together. There's not one of us in here who has it all together. In fact, we all need the grace of God because deep down, none of us are perfectly clean. And so we want to be a church. We want to be individuals that, that see the, the, the limits of our love reversed, where we would love all people, even those that don't speak our language and enroll in our circles or belong to our tribe. But, but Jesus not only reverses the limits of who we love, but he also reverses the limits of how we love. Let me point out a few things for you. Number one, he treats them individually, okay? Jesus was not just like general and like all, all, all you know, one size fits all kind of deal, okay? He was, he was uh, very compassionate toward the woman, but he gave Jairus a lot of confidence in how he spoke to him and how he was with him. Not only that, uh, consider this, for the woman to even touch the garment of Jesus would have rendered him unclean. And yet what we see in the gospel of Mark is Jesus really has no concern if he encounters a leper or is interacting with a woman who is unclean or even touches a dead person's body, which would, all of that would have rendered him unclean because Jesus understands the compassion and love of God. And oh, by the way, because he's the son of God, anything or anyone that Jesus touches becomes clean. How good is that? 
So Jesus was not bothered. He was willing to get his hands and his life dirty to care for those who were um, nobodies. And then finally, check this out. I love this. I mean, he is with Jairus, right? This is a this is social elite. He's, he's a leader in the city. And so they are walking with a pretty important assignment to, to go and see that his daughter is made well. And so they're on this journey. And then all of a sudden, as the crowd is pressing around him, it says that, that he knew something happened, right? He perceived that the power had gone out from him. Because this woman came and touched him. What, what does that tell us about Jesus? I'm just going to be honest. It, it tells me that, that I need to become more like Jesus. Because in that moment, this would have been probably my response. I've got a lot of things to do today. My calendar is packed. I've just been given a really important assignment here with Jairus. This woman is an interruption. But Jesus does not treat her as an interruption. He stops. He could have kept walking, but he stopped and he cared for the woman. Uh, do, do you view those around you as interruptions? Do, do the limits of your love need to grow in how you love them? Not viewing them as an interruption in your already busy day, but, but really pausing, lay aside your own desires so that you can serve and care for that person. There should be no interruption, at least in, the, in our heart, uh, toward people as they come in and out of our lives. But let me just ask you this. Uh, maybe it's not that you view other people as an interruption. Maybe you view yourself as an interruption in the space of God. Maybe you think that God uh, wouldn't want anything to do with you, that he wouldn't want to give you the time of day, that he wouldn't want to show you some love and compassion. But what we see in this story is that both cannot be further from the truth. He wants to know us and spend time with us. Christianity screams that God cares for people. He cares so much that he entered time and space, that he walked our dusty roads, that he was tired, Jesus, and that he was tempted in the ways that we are yet never sinned. And it screams that he cares because he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So Jesus, number one, came to reverse the limits of our love. But in verses 29 through 43, we're going to see that Jesus also came to reverse the brokenness of our world. Follow along with me as I read these verses. Here, here's what they say. And immediately, after she touched his garments, immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, okay, episode three, movement three. Uh, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher 
any further. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Look at verse 40. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now let's rewind in the story just a little bit to place ourselves in the shoes of the woman and Jairus is to feel a great burden on our back. Their situation, bleeding for 12 years, a daughter who is almost dead and then found out is dead, this would have been a burden enough to crush them. And so we should think about the burdens that we carry in life, the brokenness that we experience in life. I don't have time to tell you the story of my life in, in, in just a couple of moments, obviously, but I can think back to some brokenness in my life. I had an uncle who lived for 60 years, right? Mom, dad, 60, yeah. 60, 60 61, I like to get things right, so. 60 years with Down syndrome. When I was 12 years old, we found out that my mom had been diagnosed with bladder cancer. Thankfully, she's, she's here today by the grace of God. Five days before we launched this church, April 5th, 2011, Marcia and I lost her dad to a two-year battle with brain cancer. We've all experienced the brokenness in our world, right? You have, you have your own. This is, this is part of my story, a small part of my story, but you have your own story. Where have you experienced brokenness in your life? Has a friendship been severed? Do you have loved ones who have become sick? Who among us hasn't seen a marriage fall apart? Who among us hasn't experienced unmet expectations? Who among us doesn't experience disappointment in the workplace? I mean, we see brokenness all around us. And so the question becomes, what, how do we make sense of this brokenness and what do we do with our brokenness? We know that there is something fundamentally broken in our world. I like to talk to people who don't yet believe in God and just say, like, do you really believe that this is as good as it gets? I mean, like, from, from birth to the grave, what we experience in this, you know, world that is not as bad as it could be, but it certainly isn't good as we feel like it ought to be. How do you explain that? 
Well, let me just provide a, a possibility for you. In light of God's word, this is my attempt to explain the entire universe in a few slides. All right, here we go. We see the Bible tells a story, a, a grand story. Some people might call it the upper story, and, and here is just one of the lower stories in the upper story. The upper story is that God had a design in the very beginning. There was an original design when he created the world. Everything that God made was good. It pointed to his greatness. Everything was clean. Everything was whole. Everything was flourishing. In the relationship of creation to God, there was flourishing. In relationship to the people that God had made, there was flourishing between them and God. But we find out very quickly, even in the first few chapters of the Bible, that though God loved Adam and Eve, they deviated from God's plan. The Bible calls this sin. When we rebel and we say, God, you know what? You are pretty wise, but I think I'm a little wiser in this situation. I'm going to go and do my own thing here. And so the, the sin that, that entered our world led to fundamental brokenness. And you can see in this, this second circle of brokenness, there are arrows that go out from this circle because these represent the ways, the solutions that we seek to find answers to our brokenness. What's going to fix the brokenness? Well, maybe, maybe it'll be education, right? Now that one hasn't worked yet. What about, what about politics, right? We love our politics up here in Massachusetts. Like maybe, maybe it's, oh, I know, money, <laughs> Have enough money, the world will be right. What about technology? I mean, all of these advancements, praise God for some of you that are in these fields that are, that are advancing beyond what we could have even dreamed of 20, 30 years ago. Man, it's awesome. Keep working, by the way, and keep doing what you're doing. But, but, but listen, is this the answer? Is this really the answer for the brokenness around us? Like, we just keep trying and trying and trying again and again and again. But if, if God designed it in the beginning, then probably God is the one who has the solution. This is where the good news comes in. This is where we call the gospel. That God has a plan. He has enacted this plan in the person of his son to unite all things to himself, to reconcile everything, to take all of the broken pieces and make them whole again. He wants us to thrive. Jesus, when he came and he walked among the people, he said, I, didn't, I, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so listen, Christianity, if Christianity is a list of rules, do's, and don'ts, like you, you just like, I want to say this in love, but you don't understand it yet. If that's all Jesus is to you is I can do this, I can't do that, like keep listening. Because it's so much better than that. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. So through the gospel, okay, check this out. Through turning from our, our own sinful ways and putting faith in Christ, we can then recover and pursue God's original design. Do you see this? We can experience the answer to our brokenness through the gospel and begin to recover and pursue God's design, even in this life, even in your nine to five and your five to, to, to nine and anything in between, sleep, it, it counts too, all right? This is, this is how good and comprehensive God is. So, so let's just look at the story again, okay? Jesus reverses physical brokenness. 
We saw this in the story that, that the woman was, was bleeding. And, and so she comes to Jesus. She touches very, just the, the edge of his garment and she is healed. Meanwhile, Jairus is in great despair. Okay, we can imagine that he is waiting with impatient patience because this interruption has come into his life and his daughter is dying. And yet when, when his friends come from the house and say, your, your daughter has died, Jesus overhears this and he looks at him and speaks these words of confidence, do not fear, only believe. And Jesus comes into the, the house he silences the professional mourners. In that day, uh, they would hire uh, people to come and, 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 and literally they, they were paid to, to weep and to mourn over the loss of life. This is, this is how, how heavy they, they felt death was. And, and so the, he, he tells them to, to be quiet because the child is not dead. She's only asleep. He goes in with the child's father and mother and Peter, James, and John. And he tells her to get up and she rises. Jesus has all authority over disease, sickness, and also even death. Now, now, just for a moment, I want you to zoom out with me, all right? This is good, by the way. This is really, really good. Okay, zoom out with me and ask a question, why these miracles? Why are these miracles in the Bible? Why is Jesus performing these miracles from one city to the next? Okay, It's not simply just because he cared about people, though he did care about them. And it's certainly not so that he could become this kind of spectacle and so that the crowds would build uh, more and more and more. We might think that, man, he's just kind of showing off, man. He's just, he's just performing so that more and more people will follow him. But, but why is then he saying, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Why is he saying, shh, be quiet. Don't, don't let the word spread about this. Okay, so Jesus wasn't trying to, to become this spectacle in first century Galilee. Here's what's going on with the miracles. You ready for this? Jesus was taking what is unnatural in our world and restoring it back to its natural state. So miracles, listen to this, miracles are not unnatural, uh, 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 unnatural interruptions in a natural world. Follow me? They are not unnatural interruptions in a natural world, but they are restoring the natural in an unnatural world. And so what, is, what does this do? When Jesus heals someone, he is pointing back and saying, you know, this is not God's original design. This is not how it was in the very beginning, but don't miss this. This is also not how it will be in the very end when I come back and restore all things in my kingdom. He is both pointing back and saying, that's not it, but, but he's also pointing forward and he's saying, look, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I hope this is good news for you today because listen, not only will there not be any suffering, any sickness, any disease, any addiction in the new heavens and new earth that Jesus will bring back one day at the end of time. All right, this is major, by the way. And some of you say like, this is so theological, Tanner, all these circles. Why don't you get practical for a moment, okay? Well, let me, let me tell you this. It couldn't be more practical than what I just shared with you. But if you want me to get practical, let me, just, let me just say this. 
everything that we do as a believer in the name of Christ, every good work. And God wants us, after he changes us, he wants us to live a life of good works. So when you lend that listening ear, you're communicating that people will be cared for and cared about in the kingdom of God. No one will be shut out. When you provide a meal to the hungry, you are putting forth a picture that there will be no one who is starving in the coming kingdom of God. When you work to bandage up someone's wounds, you are pointing forth a picture that no one will be hurting or sick or diseased or dying of cancer in the coming kingdom of God. And God establishes all of this, and we see this preview in the resurrection of this child being a preview of the resurrection of Christ. And in the resurrection of Christ, we have the preview of our resurrection if we place our faith in him. I mean, is anybody excited about that? All right. Thank you. This is something to get excited about. Do you see what happens here? This, this understanding of what Christ is doing in the gospel, it fuels everything that we are and are about now as his followers. So let me just say this, as, as another scholar has said, even if you don't believe in the resurrection, you should want it to be true. The restoration of all things, God's original design. This is, this is what we're seeing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so you may be thinking, you know what, Tanner, I think I'd like to get in on this reversal, this reversal of the limits of our love and the, and the reversal of, of the brokenness in our world. How can I begin to experience this reversal? And this is what we see so prominently in the text. Jesus also, number three, came to reverse the direction of our response to God. We see it with the woman, daughter. What, what does he say? Your faith, your faith has made you well. What does he say to Jairus? Do not fear, only believe. So let me give you a few characteristics of true faith, all right? This will be quick. Number one, true faith sees our need before God. If we do not see our need for God, we, I mean, quite simply, we will want nothing to do with him. This is why Jesus starts his famous sermon in Matthew chapter five, and he says, blessed are what? The poor and what? Poor in spirit, poor on the inside, saying that we don't have it together. We don't have enough that we could ever offer God to be brought back and restored to his original design. But the good news is that he sent Christ to be our way. And so just as Jairus came desperately, just as the woman came desperately to Jesus, even touching the hem of his garment, we have to see our need before God. Number two, true faith identifies Jesus as the only solution. I love just to think about when, when Jesus is speaking to Jairus and he says, do not fear, only believe. What is he saying? He's not saying like believe in this generic sense, like, you know, like muster up enough emotion to think that it's something might, good might happen. He's saying believe in me. Jesus is the solution to the brokenness in our world. And then, and then related to that, true faith puts complete trust in the work of Christ. Christ. 
There is no doubt that many will continue to doubt the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Some will even laugh at the notion that someone could rise from the dead. And if that's you, I would just say, uh, you know, look at the evidence and pray and ask God to show you if it might not be true. Open yourself up to the possibility. It's amazing what happens when you do that. But, but then also, some will, will not only doubt and laugh, but some will misunderstand. I mean, let's go back to verse 43. Why does Jesus say to keep this thing quiet? It's because people misunderstood his mission. They thought that he came to initiate the kingdom right then. And like most of us often uh, treat God, that God exists to serve us rather than us existing to serve and point to how great he is. He didn't, he didn't just want people to understand that, that he is only coming for a physical brokenness, but he also wanted them to see that he is coming for spiritual brokenness. And so some will doubt, some will laugh, some will misunderstand, but some will believe. I hope maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, you know what, Tanner, man, I came today. I don't know why I came. I came because a friend came or I just, it's Easter and this is kind of what I do each year, which is awesome. We're so thankful that you're here. But maybe you'd say, you know what? This adds up. This, this story, this greater story, what I'm reading about Jesus here is so compelling. I think I might want in on that. And let me, let me explain to you belief, okay? This word faith is so huge in the Bible. We say, uh, it says in the, in the scripture, you are saved by grace through faith. What is this faith? It's more than intellectual assent, Okay? So, so, so in other words, you might say, yes, I believe Jesus was truly a man. I mean, that's historically irrefutable, okay? But um, you might also say, you know what? I believe that he, he lived a, a perfect life and he died on the cross. I mean, that's also, I mean, you would have a hard time disproving the fact that Jesus died on a Roman cross. Now, what you do with the understanding of why he died is probably what's gonna start to separate some people. But you might say, you know what? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for sin. And I believe that Jesus even rose from the dead but you still may not have true faith. You see, true faith is not just saying, yes, I believe this in my mind, but it's taking your heart and staking your very life on these realities. And so I was talking with a friend on Wednesday and I was talking to him about the gospel. I was talking about how God's answer for our brokenness is available to all people. And he said, you know what, Tanner, for my whole life, I grew up and I had this kind of understanding that God exists and, and I had an understanding that, that we'll all answer to him one day for how we live our life. But he said, you know what? I've always had one foot in and one foot out. And he said, you know what? It's time for me to put two feet in. I said, you know what, Bobby? Now you understand what faith is all about. It's two feet in. The woman had two feet in. She was entirely trusting in Christ. Jairus had two feet in. He was entirely trusting in what Jesus could provide him. And when we come to God, we are saying, God, you have provided the answer in Jesus. I can never save myself. I can never do enough good things to be pure, to be made clean in your sight. But I need you to cleanse me and to make me whole and to restore me to the original design that you created in the very beginning. And this is what happens in the life of a Christian, not because we're good, but because God is good. And so just listen to this. True faith, all right? And we're gonna end on this note, okay? True faith experiences the amazing work of God. 
It says in verse 42 that when the girl got up, they were what? Immediately overcome with amazement. They were amazed. They were in awe. They were marveling that Jesus could raise her from the dead. And this is what happens. When, when, when God invades our life, we're never the same again. He makes selfish people unselfish. He makes angry people kind. He makes proud people humble. It's a comprehensive change. The gospel changes the way I look at other people. I think we've established that now. The gospel changes the way I seek to love my wife, how I parent my children, how I work day in and day out. The gospel changes everything. And this is the gift that God holds out to each and every one of us. Through faith, we can experience the power of God to bring the change of Christ to us. Listen to, listen to what Yaroslav Pelikan said about the resurrection. I hope this will resonate with you today. He said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then nothing else matters. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, nothing else matters. You got it? In other words, if Jesus rose from the dead, then this one event is such, of such supreme importance, is such, so paramount that, that we should not only pay attention to that event, but we should allow our whole lives to be redefined by that event. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there's no hope of eternal life and a restoration of God's original design, then you know what? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, just go do whatever you want because it really doesn't matter. And so I hope you would side with the former piece of that statement. Because Jesus did rise from the dead, then, then nothing else matters in comparison to this. It changes everything about us. So, so here is the, the, the appeal to you today. Experience the reversal Jesus died and rose to bring through faith in him. No matter where you are, maybe, maybe you say, you know what, Tanner, I'm kind of one foot, one out. I'm not laughing, but I'm not yet believing. That's okay. We, we want you to let us know that. Maybe you want to come to our Christianity Explored class. Maybe, maybe you just want to come back another Sunday. Maybe you want to take a free Bible on your way out and say, you know what, man, you may not see me for the rest of 2015, but I'm going to read this Bible. I'm going to at least spend a little bit of time wrestling with the claims of Christ. But maybe some of you today will say, you know what, I... I'm ready to put both feet in and follow Christ. Listen, there is no greater decision you could ever make in your life than this, to give your life to Christ and experience the resurrection that he wants to bring to you. I've witnessed it in my own life, and I know hundreds of people in our church that have experienced the same thing. So if that's you today, make that decision as we pray together. God, would you work in this place on behalf of your glory. Lord, we have seen the authority of Christ as told by Mark in this, in this gospel. And Lord, we've been invited to consider the power of Christ for us. And so Lord, I pray that you would make us a church, make us a people 
that do not put any restraints or limits on our love, but we love like Jesus has loved and that we, we work toward the reversal of the, the brokenness physically and spiritually in our world and that we tie our little story up into a much greater story that you are writing in the history of the world and that you want to write in our hearts as well. God, I pray that you would give people faith to believe today that they would see the the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and that they would be so compelled to say, you know what, I will follow him. Lord, would you do this? All for your praise. Amen.